Welcome to our podcast. We're a mother-daughter duo with a twist. I'm Taya, and I was adopted. And I'm Roz, her birth mom. I went on a search at the age of 36, and I found her. Listen in as we come together to unpack the layers of our journey. Hello, and welcome to the I Found Her podcast, where we discuss all things adoption and reunion, but with a twist. I'm Taya, and with me is my birth mom and co-host, Roz. How are you today, Roz? I'm excellent, Taya. Thank you. And I'm so excited to have my friends as our guests today. So I'm ready to get started. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we've got an amazing couple joining us today. Hillary and Kevin Gaines are resource parents. They married in 2007 and are parents to five and grandparents to seven. Hillary has worked 15 years as a manager at a foster care and children's mental health agency, and now she is a human center designer. With her, Kevin works at the California Department of Social Services in the Community Care Licensing Division. And together, they use all of the skills, contacts, and resources that they have to ensure that every young person they meet is connected to an adult who cares. Well, welcome, Hillary and Kevin, to our podcast. How are Welcome. you guys doing? We're good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us along. And I'm so glad to see you, Roz. And yes, good to, to see, see you too. To be your clone here. This is uh, this is pretty awesome seeing you two together. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Mother-daughter duo with a twist, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's so good. It's so good. I'm, I appreciate you know, when you two, when you shared, Roz, that you had connected with Kevin and and that he had a link based on some of the questions that our subscribers have asked about in terms of expanding our audience. And when you shared about your meeting with him, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we need to see if we can have him and his wife join us. And so now we are doing that. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I'm so excited. And having worked with Kevin in city government many years ago, it was so wonderful to connect with him again. And when we had lunch, we chatted about the good old days and and what we're doing now. And the minute he mentioned what he does in his work and his wife, Hillary, I said, you know, I think they would make excellent guests for our podcast. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Yes, yes, yes. So one of the things that we usually do at the beginning is is kind of build out the story of our guest. Um, And so I think it would be helpful if you guys kind of expand a little bit more. And we'll start with you, Hillary, kind of telling us a little bit about maybe what you do currently. And then we'll also talk a little bit more about your role at the foster care agency. So which one do you want to lead with first, Hillary? Um, I'll start with the, it's easier for me to work, you know, from the back forward, just because it kind of, 
leads, you know, it's a story, right? So mm-hmm. um, I started working in, I think it was 2002 for a children's mental health and foster care agency here in Sacramento. And I did that for over just over 15 years. And I helped develop a youth advocacy program. So I, um, I was an advocate for families and children, and I taught young people how to uh, support youth, uh, typically about 16 to 21 years of age, how to like become adults and advocate for themselves. And it was in that um, role that we supported a lot of foster youth. Um, and then I got laid off and kind of re- re- decided to restart my career and um, ultimately became a human-centered designer. And kind of tying my experiences working in mental health, where you really are um, learning how to be empathetic and attune yourself to the needs of other people. Well, mm-hmm. empathy is a huge part of human-centered design. So it is it's what it's all about. So it the two couple well together. So I'm now um, a full-time human-centered designer. I This last semester, or the, excuse me, this current semester, I am adjunct faculty at Sacramento City College teaching human-centered design. And then I am in the process of process of launching the advocacy program that I did at the agency I worked at, at our local church to help kids who wouldn't otherwise get those supports and services. So oh my goodness. Well, you know, when you oh, talk about wonderful. the term empathy, that kind of just, you know, tickles my ears as a licensed professional counselor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Yes. Very key skills, right? Very key skills. So I think we'll definitely talk even more as we build out about the role of mental health with the youth that you guys serve. But Kevin, why don't you also kind of give us a little bit of your backstory and and kind of the role that you play today? So I've been a public servant for 30 some odd since 1990. So a, a good portion of time. Uh, right around the time that uh, Hillary was getting started with the uh, the Foster Family Agency and Children's Mental Health Center, um, I was working with Ross in the city uh, uh, as a city employee. And um, when uh, two or three years later, when I when I, I moved to Sacramento to work for the State Department of Social Services here in California. Um, and and I've done a number of roles there, but my current role is um, uh, as the, the leader of the Community Care Licensing Division. So as deputy director, we provide um, uh, oversight and <clears throat> support of uh, licensed uh, organizations that provide what we call community care, child care through child care centers and family child care homes, um, foster care services through uh, through congregate, generally through congregate care uh, uh, facilities like group homes and what we call short-term residential treatment programs. And then we have a full gamut of, of facility types for adult and senior care facilities like adult residential centers, adult day programs, um, continuing care retirement communities, a full gamut. So i Jokingly tell people I'm I'm cradle to rocking chair in terms of ensuring that um, that people who take advantage of uh, community I care are are safe and that their health and safety is uh, is is ensured. Yes, I love that cradle to rocking chair, and it's amazing how 
with the services that you guys are providing and the agencies that you work with, it does cover the gamut because one of our listeners said, be sure to try to tap into stories about children that are placed in foster home, like Taya was in for a few months before she was officially adopted. And some are in for years. And then they, what do they call, age out. And then there's also one of our listeners said, talk to us about group homes. What happens to children that are in foster care and group homes? So I hope that through the course of today's conversation, that we'll tap into that. Sure. I'm sure we will. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. There's there's people all around you, right? I mean, you're 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 consistently engaging um, with people, and and so I'm curious about what would you say were some of the pivotal moments um, during your time together as a couple um, that that kind of led you toward becoming resource parents? Well, I'm 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 laughing to myself as I think about our time together and. How we've uh, how we've evolved over the years. One of the things when when I met uh, when I met Hillary um, as an employee of the Foster Family Agency, I was doing a different uh, a different job then, a different role within Human Services. But one of the things that uh, kind of kept us talking over the years is um, this this passion for uh, for children and their and their their well being through these different government systems. So. I'm looking at it from the statewide landscape and she's looking at it from a service delivery standpoint and through um, the lenses that you most often see at at county government. And we would get into these, what I call crazy discussions uh, uh, after work, work, after work, on the weekends, holidays. I felt like I had a a, a part-time job just answering her questions and listening to her as a constituent. Well, the state ought to blah, 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 blah. And you know, <laughs> it feels like sometimes it feels like I work two jobs. One is, you know, answering to my wife and the other is answering to our constituents in the state. Oh, I, yeah. I am an advocate. Yeah. Um, I started as an advocate and that's a part of my yes. woven who I into <laughs> and who I am. Yeah. And I absolutely hate to see injustice. And um, and I'm I'm very much a let me find out the facts, let me find out the law. And then I have something to start from. So um, I don't have a law degree, but um, as part of my role as an advocate, I had to support parents in getting special education services for their kids. And so I pretty oh, much yeah. went the special ed law and learned it because people were misleading me all the time. And so <laughs> uh, the <laughs> all county letters that come out from the state and um, the pins that come out from community care licensing, I go to them and then I hold his feet to the fire um, if something's not going as I sh- expect it should. So yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what advocates do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm is. thinking you two have quite the lively conversation. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> me crying and saying, Kevin, this cannot be. And so as I'm so passionate about it, he has to, um, he's very patient with me. So <laughs> a good balance. Well, yeah, for sure. 
Mm -hmm. a good balance. Yes. Oh my goodness. So yeah, Hillary, why don't you kind of share a little bit about how your role as a manager at the foster care agency kind of intertwine with how you now do the role as a resource parent? Like what are some of the pivotal moments that maybe were occurring while working there that play into how you arrive at the position of becoming a, a resource parent? So as an advocate, um, I was constantly supporting families. And then as a the director of the youth advocacy program, we served a lot of foster youth and adopted children who were in failed adoptions. So that's a aspect oh. of things, right? So um, to kind of explain what a failed adoption is, it would be a child who is in foster care, is adopted by a family, and then some years later, that family decides that they can no longer take care of the kid um, or, or that want didn't want to, or sometimes they abuse the child and oh my goodness. are returned back to the foster care system. And oh my so, goodness. Um, so I, I had worked with numbers of uh, children and families over the years. I mean, um, my we had hundreds of families that I've supported in the 15 years that I worked there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just kept hearing story after story after story, seeing children who were falling through the cracks, uh, kids who were turning 18 and just out on the street. Um, mm-hmm. Once um, we had continuing care reform, and so we had the extension of foster care. And so now in California, youth can stay in foster care until the age of 21. However, I still have kids who didn't have the right court orders to be able to be eligible for that if they were in the juvenile justice side of things. Um, Kids who were not well advised on what they could and couldn't do. And all of them, just about all of them, lacked the independent living skills necessary to be successful transitioning. So, okay, I, I'm 18 now. I get this check from the county, but they have no money management skills. They can't find housing. They don't know how to manage jobs or show up for jobs. Um, so I just saw that over and over and over. And um, I mean, the, we there was one particular youth that was kind of the culmination that moved us into being foster parents. Okay. It was it was kind of the the yes. breaking point. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You want a breaking there? point for the parents for the child or the breaking right? point where we decided we had to take action. We couldn't okay. buy okay. and this anymore. We saw yeah. too many kids failing and figured we can do better than this. Yes. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Yeah. As caregivers. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so Kevin, why don't you leave we, there? We see, I mean, the, the, it's government. So things that, that, that used to happen organically within families or within, you know, uh, communities, I mean, now the government is responsible for, and I'm talking about foster care generally. And, and you know, um, it's government. We're big. We, we try to set, we try to standardize as much as possible because we can't individualize everything. And so right. what is happening is just naturally people and, and kids fall through cracks. Now, 
um, we're evolving in our thinking about that. But at the time, you know, 10, 10 some odd years ago, um, yeah, we, we're, we're, I'm looking at it from a statewide lens. Hillary's looking at it from a local and a service delivery lens. And we're thinking, you know, back and forth conversations at home and everywhere else about, God, what if this had just happened, if this person had done that, if this lever had been pushed over here. And then we just started thinking, dang, um, we, I think we can do better. We um, can do better. I'm so yeah. glad you had that enlightening moment because there was a video that I saw that you guys did a while back and it showed a, a, a young man who I guess was falling through the cracks and you guys took him in and you showed him through your parenting skills how to be a better person. And as he got older and got adjusted to that lifestyle, it improved his mindset. So I think in, in some way you could address the lifestyle if it happens more to young men versus young women or girls. If, and what's the difference between male and female foster children? And how do they adapt and adjust and move on with their life as they get older? Because the last thing we want is for an adoptee to be given back into a foster care system and things didn't work out. So how do you manage the parenting and the adolescence of male and females through your program? So, so we um, specifically chose to only take um, teen boys and we specifically articulated that we are open to boys of color because one of the things we kept seeing was boys of color were the ones that were ending up in group homes and not in foster homes time and time again. And I worked closely with one of the managers in our foster care program and kept saying, yeah, all these people, they're scared of the boys of color. They just, they come with so much stigma that they just won't take them. Oh and my goodness. That was absolutely unacceptable to both of us. Right. Um, right. Good. We stand by and watch that. And Kevin saw it from the data side at the state level. Yeah, we do. Um, um, so in California at, at the moment, we're talking about, um, I don't know, 55 or so thousand kids at this at, at any given time that are in um, uh, out of what we call out of home care, either through the foster system, which is dependency because of abuse or neglect and, or, or or juvenile justice, which is because of criminal activity or accused or otherwise on, on the part of the um, uh, of the, the, the young person in care. And and yes, there is a uh, there is a longstanding, um, ongoing trend uh, of adolescent teen uh, adolescent teen males, particularly of color. We have a really hard time uh, finding appropriate placements for them, both in in a home setting like a foster home or a resource family setting. All that's all the, the same thing. Uh, and so, what ends up happening is the uh um if that doesn't turn out to be an option then these what we call congregate settings people think of them as group homes or other or other 
you know, settings where groups of, of, of young people are together in a, in a more structured, suited, uh, supervised uh, setting, they end up in these situations. And the research is, um, the research is pretty clear. Congregate settings, um, kids who live in them uh, have, have poorer outcomes at the end than kids who are in, 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 in home-like settings. The preference for child welfare systems everywhere is family first. If, if a family is having situations where it's either dangerous or just unsuitable for, for a young person to be there, the first option is a relative, someone that the kid has relationship with and okay. people where we know uh, uh, there's a caring person there with a family tie. That is okay. absolute best option in, in most cases. Where that doesn't happen is where where that's unavailable or not possible is the place where resource families like ourselves get involved. Um, and as a last resort for kids who are having mental health challenges or behavioral challenges where they're not safe in a family setting for to themselves or to others, then they're in, in congregate settings that are 24 hours of uh, staffed supervision, you know, much more structured. And, and with treatment as the primary. And with treatment as, as a, as a, as a goal. And treatment. And, yes. Treatment mental for mental health treatment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and, sometimes that's yeah. when you hear about the, the auntie or the grandmother taking on a child exactly. to raise through that's either right. foster care or even adoption. Is that where that comes from? Exactly. That's that's the outcome that we're looking for. Absolutely first. Okay. Often that's not okay. possible. Okay. Yeah. Something that that I thought about is, and I'm pretty sure there's there was training that you guys went through to develop the skills to relate, right, and and to connect. And so you may have there may have been a focus on attachment theory by any chance. Is that a term that you guys are familiar with? We it are. Is, yeah, we're, we we're familiar with that. Yeah, we yeah, are. yeah. And so it, that's the kind of the term that came up because I, I, again, I'm thinking about, right, the role of attachment, the role of connection or bonding, right? And so when you kind of look, you stated how, you know, our first focus would be a family member. So there's probably already some level of bonding or connection, right? And then I'm thinking when you describe the congregate homes, right, there's multiple kids in this space, minimal, right, opportunities to really build one-on-one -on -one relationship, right? And so I'm wondering if in this perspective around you guys being the resource parents, the goal is to possibly work on building that attachment with them so that they have a more secure or sense of felt safety with others. Absolutely. Um, I can give you the first, not the first youth. So let me back up for a second. So the very first youth that we took into our home that wasn't a family member had been in a group home for, I think like four or five years. It was Ooh. a very long time. Okay. Um, and in that place, we were just what's called a non-relative family placement. So I knew him from my work. We took placement of him and we just worked through the county, right? 
Um, and that was well before we said enough, we're going to do foster care like full time. That was just, Hey, we have this, I have this affinity for this young man who is struggling and has been in languishing in congregate care setting. This is ridiculous, right? Um, you know, spring forward to about 2017 and there was a young man who was 17. He was going to turn 18 in September and he had, uh, been in foster care earlier in life, but I had a youth advocate that was working with him and he was just getting put from group home to group home to group home. And he had no attachment skills whatsoever. He could not build relationship. He didn't do well in school. He had no, I mean, zero permanent connections with an adult, right? None. And family history was that of gang violence, prison, et cetera. And, oh, okay. um, to give you context, this boy, this young man was completely tattooed, like his neck, face, and both arms were tattooed by the time he was 13. Okay. And okay. so we said, okay, we were going through the certification process to become a resource family. And so I reached out and I was like, hey, I'm interested in meeting with this kid. And the county would not give us a pre-placement visit with this kid. But because mm. of my relationships with probation. And he was actually in juvenile hall at this point because of situations at the group home. Um, I was able to get a visit with him and we got to go in, but Kevin and I went to court for him and his mental health team. I want to say it was for about four months fighting to get this kid. And the DA on the case tried to convince us not to take him. And even in court called Kevin out in the middle of court and said, what are you going to do when this kid hurts your wife or grandchildren? So there was this absolute opposition to us taking this young black man because of perception. We took him. He never hurt me. He never hurt our grandkids. And he was able to graduate high school and um, transition. He's still struggling. Um, but we, but still, we still have contact with him. Saw him last mm-hmm. night. I talked to him today. Like he calls mm-hmm. me all the time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so while the outcome isn't what we had hoped for him, he has two permanent adults that he can call on that he did not have before. Yeah. 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 That's that goes wonderful. back to kind of even wonderful. the intro. Yeah. That goes back to like even the intro where, you know, your goal is to ensure that every young person that you meet is connected to an adult who cares. And in this situation, this is a young man who connected with you guys. He forged a attachment with you guys that maybe was not possible with anyone else, but because of the consistency and the, what would I, what I would say is the, the constancy around, I'm here for you. Let's repair. Let's, let's, Let's work through the challenge. That's what, right, kids need, right, is that sense of, yes, I know that my behavior at times can be problematic, but are you going to work with me? Are you still going to work to see the good in me, right? And so I believe that's what you're describing as well, that out of all the different relationships that probably were formed, this was the healthiest relationship that he had, which is why he's maintaining it with you both. It's, it's so key that, um, that, that we look for family first 
because those ties are already they're already there typically with even in the most dysfunctional of families. I'll do anything for my kid. If I need to change for my kid, if I need to get a job for my kid, if I need to do this for for my for my for my niece or my nephew, I'll go ahead and those 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 ties that are that are pre-existing before the government ever start uh, steps in are the are the linchpin for ensuring that the the thing that is that research has shown time and time again is the most critical in the life of a of a young person being that contact and that consistent contact with a uh, an adult any adult who gives a hoot right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um that's why there's there's just more likelihood to find that within a family context um mm-hmm. strange strangers can build that but it's a lot easier if it's already there so let's look for family first and even if the child or the young person doesn't have a relationship with that family member biology is strong every single kid Everyone. that we have ever um had in our home um they've all sought out their biological families. Uh, There's a young man that um, is a foster youth at our church that I'm supporting. And Mm -hmm. it was a failed adoption situation. And he sought out his family of origin. And even if um, maybe they have no, maybe it's an auntie or a grandparent or a cousin, they have no relationship, relationship with having that, familiarity like hey we're blood it matters mm-hmm. very deeply mm-hmm. the kids and their sense of identity because you know at 17 they don't have a real solid sense of identity right. especially when they bounce through a system and had to kind of code switch and conform to whatever culture of the home that they're in right so that's a really mm-hmm. hard right time. right and so, it could be so different that they just can't figure out a way how to adapt so let's let me just mention mental health. How does that play in children and teenagers in foster care that are either in group homes or returned from an adoptive family? And then you guys step in. Is mental health a, a main thing? After you connect with family and you find what works, is mental health part of that, whether it's with family or non-family members in this whole resource family process? That one or me? Go ahead. Uh, So (laughs) um, entering any kind of foster care setting or change in your home environment, homelessness, neglect, trauma, or abuse, whatever that is, is caused trauma typically, right? Right. And sometimes there is a history of bipolar disorder or depression or anxiety that coexists with that trauma. Um, So yes, mental health is often a presenting issue, whether they go to a family member or to a foster home or to a group home. Typically the children that end up in a group home have really extreme mental health issues that really exacerbate their behaviors. I remember years ago, we had a girl who would try and eat light bulbs. Um, she oh had, my goodness. So she had really extreme mental health mm-hmm. challenges, right? So she couldn't be safe in a family home. Um, so, and we're what's called an intensive services foster care home. So we take kids that have pretty significant mental health issues because we've had a lot of training and experience on how to support kids with those issues. 
Okay. So training is key for the resource parents and for those who want to assist or be advocates. So what would you say to someone who's thinking about being a resource parent? What type of training would they seek out and the exposure to all the layers of what type of children might come into their home? Most jurisdictions are requiring a minimum of what, 12 to 24 hours of, of training initially in a number of different areas, uh, uh, childhood development, um, 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 uh, 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 what, TCI, um, uh, therapeutic crisis, crisis intervention, intervention uh, just uh, uh, training in, in communication styles for, uh, for youth, uh, developmental stages in, in young people how to manage to specific types of behaviors. There are a number of different um, training options that are available, but there is a minimum level of training that has to be, uh, that has that, that, uh, that started as a platform and that is on a continuous basis every year in order to maintain a certification. Um, okay, great, great. We have to have a certain uh, number of trainings uh, and training hours. So that's an ongoing education requirement. Oh, that's wonderful. I would say, um, number one, if you're thinking about being a foster parent, um, yes, you do have to have training and you have to turn your whole life upside down. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. what you have to do for any child, whether they're your biological child or a foster child, right? So I have three natural children of my own. That's three of the five between the two of us. And two of my kids were really rough to raise. And so a lot of my training ground was my own kids, to be very honest, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, um, but, you know, de-escalation, verbal de-escalation, right? So we call it therapeutic crisis intervention is the model that we were trained on here. And it's very, very important. Um, I think for whether you're just raising your own kids and trying to like get by, or you're taking in children that are not your own, you just have to remember it's not personal, right? The things they say, the things they do, it's not personal. And so if you're going to think about taking in a foster child, think about if you're able to like absorb somebody else's heartache and energy without taking it personally. If you're going to get um, your knickers in a bunch every time mm-hmm. something goes awry, then it may, you may not be ready for that, right? It might be something to do later. Um, mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot of training resources out there. So it's not something that you have to go do on your own. You get connected to a foster family agency or the county, let them know that you want to be a foster parent, and they will absolutely connect you to the resources to train you. So there, there's tons of training out there. Yeah. Well, that's that's good to navigate through that process of being a foster parent or resource parent. So what challenges came up for both of you along the way? Mm. Well, came up or are, are continue to come <laughs> continually comes up. <laughs> um I, I I'll I'll start by saying that that my parenting style has had to evolve. Um, you know, okay. I came up in I, I'm, I came up in the '60s with uh, with with you know parents who would put put their hands on. You know what I'm saying? It, as a, as a disciplinary measure, mm-hmm. that's not something that we're that we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, are there other ways to to get to agreement to get to 
I don't know, some people call it compliance or get to a place of understanding where, you know, we're, we're walking in the same direction, get alignment in ways other than, you know, um, 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 corporal punishment. That's right. Right. That's, that's challenge. Number one, challenge number two is, is, um, something that, that this, this one right here has been a huge evolution for me. (laughs) Um, being able to 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 explain and rationalize everything, she, ex- mm. she for me it's an over explanation. Look, I just want to be able to say sometimes it's because I said so. No, right, right. <laughs> we people. I mean, your your average individual needs a reason for for walking in a way that they wouldn't necessarily be inclined to go naturally, and so right. to, to to be able to watch. And, and see how, you know, being able to explain a, a way of thinking and, and, and convince uh, a person that, you know, we, to, to reconsider their position mm. has been an education for me. I'll just say that. Yeah, well, that's a smart answer. I, I <laughs> get it. And, and I could read between the lines that sometimes you have to have like an extrasensory level on it. And, you know, it might be a superpower for you, Hillary, because you now have a keen awareness for handling parenting skills with children, whether they're 5, 15, or 18. And, Kevin, you and I came up the same way, where Mm -hmm. it's like, because I said so. And you just didn't question it. Right. So. Now the evolution of parenting has changed, whether it's with adoptive children, foster children, natural children. What advice would you give or which superpower would you lend to other people to say, this is what worked for me and I am sure if you try it, it will work for you? Well... Um, I guess, as Kevin alluded, I over-explain everything to kids and I say it repeatedly. I could, I'll tell them the same thing 10 times and I don't get all upset about it most of the time. Um, but I think the one kind of like pearl of wisdom or one of the pearls of wisdom I would tell people um, is play the long game. So a lot of times a kid does something and you want to like nail them right then and there. And then you get into this power struggle and it's a struggle and you're going to fight it and fight it, play the long game. And I always, I mean, I over explain everything. Right. So I tell all the kids like, Hey, at some point you're going to want something from me. (laughs) (laughs) And guess what that's going to be. Right. And sometimes that moment is like the next day, the next moment. And sometimes it's two weeks away. Funny story. One of the youth we had, we were moving from one house to the other. And I told him, Hey, you need to, he was 19, right? He was still in placement with us, but he's 19, old enough to know how to do stuff and follow instructions. It's time to pack, you know, do that deep cleaning to get our deposit back. Right. Mm -hmm. And he refused. And I told him like, Hey, if I have to clean, you know, um, your stuff, like there's going to be this consequence, that consequence, whatever. So ultimately he got, he moved with us and then he moved into a transitional housing program a month later. The 
room that he moved into, the previous tenant had not cleaned the bathroom or the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he had to deep clean somebody else's mess. Yes. See? <laughs> to deep clean back. That, according to him, was not as bad as what he left behind. So, you know, play the long game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's exactly. Good. Goes that's around, comes around, right? There you go. <laughs> there you go. Lessons oh learned. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm curious too in in this in what you've shared so far. You know, we've been married how long now? 16 years. 16 right. years. What a journey. What a journey. And 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 so doing life the way you guys are doing it, I'm I'm just going to dabble a little bit in asking how do we how do we do self-care then? How do we take care of ourselves individually as well as us as a couple separate from all of the other dynamics. Well, he plays golf to take care oh, of him. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have a hubby who loves golf. <laughs> yes. Yes. Say I that again, Hillary. I'm terrible at self-care. So okay. she's great at it with the golf clubs. I am terrible at it. I'm trying, I'm trying to, Trying to show her what, what's what's going on here, but uh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we so. do. Well, we do a few things. I mean, there that we spend a lot of time together in <laughs> post pandemic. We mm-hmm. I still primarily work out of the home, and you know I I visit places you know on the job, but generally we're we're together a lot. So we we're our own self care. I mean, yeah. we, we mm-hmm. take care of each other, and and. Um, you know, we laugh a lot. Yeah. We laugh a lot. Oh, we that's good. We don't, we don't take a lot of, I mean, we, we, we work hard, we play hard that, but, but, um, we, we, we spend a lot of time enjoying one another. We, we travel together very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, we team together on, on projects. I mean, one of the things that I think I do fairly well is obey. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> I let, let her sit in the driver's seat and say, you go do that. You take care of that. I have a task list for you. Tell me what to do. Let me make sure I take care of that. So, you know, we, we approach, uh, we approach life as a team and we, we just enjoy one another's company immensely. Yeah. We're best friends. That's good. Yes, that's where yes, I was thinking. Yes. Your best that's what friends. I was thinking. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Wow. So, Anything else that's brewing over there for you, Roz, as a question? Yeah, I wanted to ask, what could our listeners do to support you and the type of work you do? Well, um, you mentioned earlier um, this uh, this uh, video that you saw. It's actually a documentary right. that was mm-hmm. put in place that was commissioned by the um, come on Chief Probation Officers of California, or CPOC. Okay. Um, and... One thing that that people could do is consider becoming resource families. Um, okay. One of the things that we're seeing in California nationally is that while there are, uh, we we need more family based resource family setups so that people don't have to necessarily so that agencies and 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 government doesn't have to resort to the 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 congregate facilities and and places that we know are less likely to lead to good outcomes for kids. 
family settings are good. Uh, uh, whether relative care or or stranger care, you know, with you know uh, uh, evolving relationships. So consider looking at uh, ways to 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 get involved. That's not the only way. There are ways to engage with uh, with foster youth and youth and juvenile justice that don't necessarily uh, involve bringing a kid into your home. Uh, court appointed special oh, okay. ed, the CASA, the CASA program, uh, an option available in California where, you know, just as the name suggests, a, a court appointed special advocate is a, a kid's um, a mentor and friend and, and, and advocate to the agencies, the court, the, the, the other government and, and, and nonprofit entities in a kid's life who want to, you know, move a kid here, move a kid there to, to see after the best interests of a, of a, of a young person. Uh, up close. Uh, and yeah. I have an option. You know, both of those are very real options and they're desperately needed. Um, I want to throw a little piece out there because we've thrown out there like foster care, juvenile justice. Um, in California, youth that are involved in juvenile justice or juvenile hall are eligible for foster care homes too. And I think that's one uh. thing. I want to really dispel for your listeners the uh, stigma associated with kids in juvenile hall. Many of the kids that are in juvenile hall are kids that have what we call like externalized behaviors. Um, Maybe they got arrested for involvement Mm -hmm. in something that was actually survival. Like they needed to go and steal something to be able to feed themselves or feed their siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's what their family members do. Maybe it's because they're homeless. Um, so those kids have externalized behaviors where a lot of the kids that are higher need in foster care have internalized behaviors. They're anxious, they're depressed. They may cut, they may uh, think about suicide or other kinds of self-harm stuff, right? So, so number one, they're all the same kids. Some of them get caught for their behaviors. We've seen plenty of foster mm-hmm. kids who also broke the law, but because they're in foster care, don't get charged. <laughs> they don't go right. to juvenile hall. Right. So, okay. so number one, you know, just make sure that you're kind of checking that stigma at the door and, and really understanding these are all kids that are hurt, right? There's some kind of hurt. There's some kind of trauma. The other thing is that you can be proactive. If you see families around you struggling, maybe mom is having a hard time providing for the kid. Maybe, you know, the kid is, you know, they're a teen, but you see that they're all alone a lot. You could just take them under your wing. Look around you in your environment, your neighbors, kids your, um, that your own children know and hang out with, kids in your church. And being that supportive, caring adult in your community can make all the difference. And it only takes you doing it with one kid. Mm-hmm. One kid doing it with one kid can change generations moving forward. Exactly. So, so it's exactly. like you don't have to go and be a foster parent. You don't have to go and sign up to be a CASA. Just be open, watch around you, and you can make a difference in a parent's life so that they don't lose their child to the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's I am so glad you brought that up because there is a stigma around so many issues. And just to be loving, caring people who advocate for youth. There's a lot of youth programs at our schools and churches that people just don't tap into. Mm-hmm. I think it should be highlighted. There should be a beacon of light on 
those services that are provided to youth. And no matter how young or if they're approaching 18, 19 years old, and I think I heard you say even up to 21, be caring, be kind, Mm -hmm. be loving, and just show how much you are willing to give support to the youth of today because they will be the our leaders for tomorrow mm. and how best we serve them now is what will be our future don't you think oh yeah absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yeah. you own a business yeah. you can hire one of the youth right yeah. you can yes for a career there's so many ways to just love on kids and help them even just for a season it doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment it could be just for a season Just love on them. Exactly, Hillary. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. I'm I'm excited about how this, I believe this messaging is going to go out. I think it's going to have a huge impact um, as listeners kind of take it in and hopefully are motivated. I definitely am motivated to the various things that I could do in my own community, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm thinking about, because I feel like we're getting to that winding down phase, right? We've kind of touched on a lot mm-hmm. of different things. And so we kind of have this signature question that we ask each of our guests. And so it's going to be interesting now that I have, we have a couple that we're going to ask this question to, but it's for each of you. And I want you both to respond in your own words. So I'll start with you, Hillary. So what does... I found her mean to you. To me, in one word, it means healing. Mm, and I healing. think it's interchangeable between him or her. Um, you know, our yes. meeting, I had shared that I come from a long family history of adoption. So I was mm. adopted by my father. I had my birth mother, but I, my birth mother also put a son up for adoption. And then my mom was adopted by both of her parents. So I had lots of family that I didn't know. Um, And so reflecting on that, it was like, I found her or I found him was finding those lost connections and being able to put that final piece in the puzzle to get the whole, uh, you know, a clearer picture. But I also think it sometimes when we go through life, we have um, regrets, we have hurts, we have situations that we've come out of, and we need to go back and look at it to be able to move forward. And so to me, I think I found her or I found him is ultimately a place of healing or a word of healing. Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Hillary. Yes. What about you, Kevin? Without, um, with, without specificity to the podcast per se, I'm turning Mm -hmm. it back on, on Roz and you, Taya. Um, our, our reunion, Roz, um, was so eye-opening for me in so many ways. We worked together for two years. We didn't see each other for 20, for close to 20. And when we got back together is when I, when I discovered for the first time, not discovered, but you, you related that, that story to me about the two of you um, um, being reunited after, after 30 some odd years. And right. so what, what's been in my mind and what, listening to the podcast and going, you know, uh, you, you all make me sick. You're making me like weep up and misty. And all that. <laughs> you, know my nurse. you know my nurse. But but I found her for me. 
is just the just the cogitating. I've been going back and forth and thinking about what what you discovered about yourself, Taya, as a result of finding your mom. I look at the two of you together and it's like it's it's like seeing the same person in different <laughs> stages of life. And it's it's really remarkable. And it 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 just brings up questions to me about nature versus nurture and what is what oh is, yes. What is hereditary and what is what is environmental and what have you discovered about yourself after meeting um your your birth mom and what that how that um makes you re-examine the different stages of your own life. That's oh yes. One of the things that that I think about. Okay. And we did an episode on heritage and nature yeah. versus nurture <laughs> and what we have connected on. And what we still have yet to learn about each other. Yes, because, and... yeah, 36 years is a long time to uh, be disconnected. So we, we talked about, right, Taya, the separation trauma. Mm -hmm. And she knew my voice and she knew my heartbeat before she met me. And then she was surrounded by strangers after being adopted. So the the looking and the searching and the the it it's an emotional journey that's all i could say uh when you listen to all the episodes of what we have done in this podcast and have yet to do it is a learning process it's a never ending journey and it's funny how we we see each other and we look at each other and we're like well yeah we do we do look alike Yes, but you guys <laughs> haven't met her father yet, so her birth father. So it's amazing what we've discovered and what other people, other friends have discovered about us. And I love the way you feel that <clears throat> I found her has a special meaning for both of you because it definitely is a special meaning for us. Yeah. Oh wow! Killing me with the waterworks, though. That's yes. that's what. Yes. I know. I'm falling yes. as I'm driving. It's like, what is, what is, what is this guy? I'm, I'm, I imagine that the people on the right and the side of while I'm driving are like, what's this guy crying about? What's going on? <laughs> what's wrong with him? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, this is fun. This is fun, you guys. I've really enjoyed our time today, and and I am just. Uh, you know, just sitting here and just taking in all of what we've learned. And, and I appreciate you guys, um, Hillary and Kevin, for joining us on our podcast today. It has truly, truly been a pleasure. Yes, so thank you. Having. Thank you so much for... Thank you. Have us. a wonderful day with your family, a wonderful life with the family that you've raised and your grandchildren. And we look forward to talking with you guys again. Thank you.